Good morning. Let's all stand together and sing and move around just a little bit. That's too small. I wandered so aimlessly, life filled with sin. I couldn't let my dear Savior in. Then Jesus came like a stranger in the night. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. Come on, I saw the light, I saw the light. No more darkness, no more night. Now I'm so happy, no sorrow inside. Just like a blind man, I wandered along. Worries and fears I claimed for my own. And like a blind man, that God gave back his sight. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. Come on, sing it out. I saw the light. I saw the light. No more darkness, no more night. Now I'm so happy, no sorrow inside. start, huh? Hey, good morning. Y'all have a seat. I saw some of you got, uh, you kids up front getting into it. I mean, I, it was like we we're having a hoedown in here or something. Y'all don't know what a hoedown is, do you? You do? Yeah, yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. Okay. That, 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 yeah, never mind. I'm not going to call out whose daughter that was. All right. Hey, well, good morning. So glad that you guys are here this morning. And uh, if you're uh, visiting, thanks for visiting. Thanks for trying out a new church. Thanks for the, risking that. If you're here with family, we're glad that you're able to tag along today with family. And uh, we're grateful to have you. If you're watching online, wherever you are, uh, we miss you in person. And we look forward to when you're here. And I continue to see more and more of you being able to return back in person. And we're glad to see you guys in person. Uh, it's just not the same when you're not here in person. And so uh, looking forward to seeing more of you back in person. And um, if you're visiting this morning, whether here in person or online, if you've never given us a connection card, would you consider doing that this morning? If you're here this morning on your bulletin, the front side next to the Facebook logo is a QR code. 
You'll just open your smartphone and camera, put it on there. It'll take you to a, a connection card. You can do it that way. Or if you like uh, pen and paper, then you can, um, you can stop at our welcome desk on the way out, and there's a, a pen and paper option for a, a connection card, and just leave that with us there. All right. We'd love to be able to get connected, get some emails, uh, so that way we can stay in contact with you. Um, ways for you to be in contact with us and at least to get the information that you need uh, is either through email or if you are on Facebook, then we have Facebook pages for, our, uh, for the main church, we have it for the kids, we have it for the youth, uh, the Iglesia Biblica El Rino has theirs, and then we have just all the different, all the different um, the aspects of the church usually has Facebook, so that's a great place to uh, stay tuned. Uh, if you are a parent of a youth, then also on Instagram. Instagram, you can find that. So just, just get connected because sometimes it's just needing to have the information so you can make decisions about how you want to get involved. All right. Uh, the other thing I've got for you this morning is um, it's the joy and the privilege of people who call Houston home to give as an expression of their worship. And so if today is the day that you would uh, worship through your giving, there's opportunities to do that. There's boxes in the back. You can drop it off there or you're always welcome to give through our online options. I say it that way. It's the joy and privilege of people who call Houston home because if you're visiting, we don't expect that from you. That's not, that's not what we're looking for from you uh, this morning. We want you to participate as you want to participate evaluate some things if you need to evaluate, um, but I just want you to know that's our perspective on that. Um, as we continue looking at your bulletin, there's a few things we want to get on your radar. Um, Easter is very quickly approaching, um, being that this week is spring break for those of you who have kids um, or, or or if you are in the school world, then spring break is something that you're experiencing this week. Um, it's going to come very quickly. So there's two things. One, Good Friday, which is April the 2nd, uh, we will be doing our Good Friday experience again here. Um, it's a walkthrough experience. If you've not done it before, starts at, I don't see time. Do we have five? And goes till... Eight. So anytime between five and eight, uh, you can show up. They're going to enter the west side again, the gym doors. All right, so you would, you would start on our west side of our building here where our gym and our kids area is, and you come in, there's, there's going to be different stations that you'll walk through um, as, as we consider the, the last few hours of Jesus' life. Um, so there's going to be video-based stuff. There's going to be some very fun surprises that we have not had in the, uh, the last uh, couple years with that, so you'll, you'll just want to be there. You'll want to explore that. They'll go through as small groups. Um, if being in a group is a concern for you or a large group is a concern for you, we are going to be able to moderate that to where if you prefer to go in a smaller group, we can make that happen for, for uh, health purposes. Is that correct? Am I putting words in anybody's mouth? Okay, great. All right, so that's coming up April the 2nd, uh, anytime between 5 and 8, and we'll be continuing to keep that before you. An email went out yesterday about that, but Facebook has it as well, but we'll just keep that before you. If you've not experienced this before, because we didn't do it last year, um, this is something quite unique, and we're excited about it, and we, we always get great feedback from you all and those who visit, so um, looking forward to that. Then that Sunday, April, that would make it, what, the 4th? April the 4th is Easter. Um, we are going to go ahead and do two services for Easter. I was talking to the staff briefly this week, and I thought, hey, do we want to do one or two services? I can't, I, I don't remember doing two services last year. And then it occurred to me why I don't remember doing two services last year. Because that was during a three-month period we chose not to meet. And so every, every year prior to that, we've done two services. So we're going to keep with that. That allows for room. That allows for... Um, uh, 
potential larger crowds that, that sometimes comes in with Easter services. So here's what you need to know. Our same time frames that we operate with on a regular Sunday morning, 9.30 and 10.45, we're going to keep those same time frames. We'll have a service at 9.30. There just won't be any classes that day. There will be kid stuff going on, but no adult classes. We're just going to scrap the adult classes for that day and in place of it do a service. And then we'll also have a service at 10.45. Right? The service is the same. It's not one, one of different style or any kind. It's the same type of service. We're just going to run it two times, which gives you, if you're planning for afternoon or lunch plans, maybe you come to the early one, or if you need to come to the later one, we'll have both of those as an option, and there will be room for people to be able to, um, to sit comfortably. All right? So keep that on your radar. Last thing I've got, if you have a kid or your youth, uh, really this is open to anybody. Um, I'm, just, I'm just targeting it towards families. But this coming Saturday, March the 20th, from 12 p.m. to 2 p.m., we have rented out Yukon on Wheels. That's the roller skating rink in Yukon. It is open to anyone. Uh, you're welcome to come. We are paying for entry. So come, enjoy some skating. Um, the concession stand will be open. We're just saying if you want anything from the concession stand, just plan accordingly for that. But you can come. The, the skating part is paid for. Bring your, your family, your friends. Um, and uh, if you have a fifth grader or younger, we're just asking that there be adult or parent supervision that stays with them, right? Um, so just if you have questions, you can email, text, or contact me about that. Uh, but that's coming up this Saturday, 12 to 2. And you know what? If you don't want to roller skate, but you want to come hang out, that's fine too. All right? It's open to everyone. Is that, is that clear? Good, that's coming this Saturday, so we're going to keep that in front of you. All right, that's all I've got for you this morning. That was plenty, I believe. Let me uh, pray for us, and we will continue our worship this morning. So, Father, we are, we are gathering again, and we're grateful. And, God, each week is a different week because every, every week it has different things that we experience. And for some people, they're coming, and it's been a great week, and they're, they're riding a high, or they're excited about some things, and, and, and they're here, and they're, their worship is going to re reflect that celebration and that joy that they've been experiencing. And then for other people, it's been a rough week, and, and they're just grateful to be starting a new week. They got through last week, and, and they're tired, and they're worn down. And, and so the, the, this morning their worship is going to reflect that as, as they worship. And, and, and all of that is, is appropriate and right to bring before you. Because God, you, you know all things. There's no secrets before you. And you don't want us to come and pretend to be happy when we're not. You don't want us to come in and pretend like everything's fine when it's not. God, we, we, we should be living our lives open before you. Living lives that are dependent upon you, trusting you, walking with you through the day in and day out. And so God, would you teach us what it looks like to worship you from that this morning? Let your spirit guide us. We don't want to manufacture anything. God, we want to, we want to be open to what you want to do in and through us by your spirit. We want to hear from you this morning through your word. We want to be encouraged by you this morning and by one another. And so God, do all the things that you can do. And, and when we walk out of here today, God, I pray that it is clear to, to, to more people in here than it's not, that, that you're present among us. And that makes a difference. Because as good as the music's going to be, and, and as, as good as other aspects of the service may be, as good of an experience we may have, we can have all of those good experiences and never encounter God. And that's not what we want. It's not what I want, at least. And so, God, I pray that you would make it clear that you are with us here and your presence is with us. So speak to us.
Make us open to hear, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise teach me some melodious sonnet sung by flaming tongues above praise the mountain fixed upon it mount of thy
never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working.
Father, this morning we sing that out to you, God, not with just our voices, but from our hearts, God, we sing. That is who you are to us. You are a way maker, our miracle worker, our provider, our healer. God, you are all of those things to us this morning. And God, we proclaim that is who you are. And I pray that we don't just do that in this room. But God, when we are out in the world this week, God, I pray that we still proclaim that is who you are and that is what you're doing in and through us. So God, thank you. Thank you for your presence this morning. I pray that our worship today has brought a smile to your face. God, I pray that you have felt worshipped the way that you are to be worshipped as King of kings and Lord of lords. So God, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds now. Would you speak to us? Would you continue to speak to us as we open your word? God, I pray that as we look at the good news of the gospel today, God, we, our eyes are opened and we do see it as good news, as great news. God, so this morning, would you speak to us? Would you challenge us, change us? And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, kiddos, we'll see you guys afterwards. If you are visiting this morning and you have a uh, kid headed off to Kids Church, you'll be able to pick them up after our service in our kids area and you'll just exit these back doors, hang a right, go across the gathering area and that's where you'll find your kids. You'll be able to claim them there. If you have a Bible, go ahead and grab those. You're going to Romans chapter 3. And in verse 21, if you need a Bible, there's some there on the chairs there around you. I do not have a page number for you this morning, and I'll tell you why in just a moment. But you'll want to, uh, you'll want to if you're looking at uh, your Bible, you'll want to go to Romans chapter 3, verse 21 to 26. Now, I've been saying for the last, I don't know, maybe it's been four weeks now that... Paul's going somewhere, Paul's going somewhere. I know it sounds heavy, I know it sounds bad, and he's, he's kind of hammering things, and he has been, and it's been leading up to this point. This is the turning point in what Paul has been leading up to. This is the turning point in this letter of Paul here. So Romans chapter three. Now, before we go any further, technical housekeeping note here. Why am I not giving you a page number? Because I'm gonna do something this morning that I don't like to do, and I prefer not to do it very often at all. I'm going to put up a different version on the screen, um, and I'm going to be reading from a different version than what we normally have, the ESV. Normally, we use the e English Standard Version. Now, I say normal. That's been normal since March of 2020, or May of 2020. Uh, for the, uh, the seven or eight years prior to that, we've been using the New English Translation, the Net Bible. That's what I'm going to put up there this morning. Um, is the net Bible. The reason I'm going to do that this morning, and I don't like to do that, is because there's two places in this set of verses that um, there are some difference in translations that the English translations take, and, and I'm going to tell you about them when we get there, but I, I really lean and, and, and think the net translation, the, the way that it goes, is capturing what's there, but it doesn't mean that the other translations are wrong. Okay. And, 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 and so sometimes when we have English translations, here's what you need to keep in mind. Every one of your Bibles is a translation and it is an interpretation because you don't have the original languages. I don't have the original languages. And so every translation is an interpretation after studying the original languages. What does this word mean in this context? How is it used in this day? And throughout the years, and in every language that the Bible gets translated into, translators have to make decisions. Our English translations are exceptional. And we have such a broad variety of English translations that we are able to, to really, we think, get a very good grasp on what the originals said. 
right? And, and there's, there's just this spot where occasionally there's a word or two that get used that there's just not a lot of information about those words. And so when there's a council of people sitting around and they're trying to interpret the Bible and, and translate it into English for your New International Version or your New Living Translation or your Christian Standard or your English Standard, there's scholars all sitting around, experts in the Hebrew and the Greek and the Aramaic, and, and, and they're, they're experts in the culture and they're, they're discussing, here's what Paul was saying here, here's how the context flows, here's the word, here's how it was used at that time, and they're making decisions based on that, and then they're saying, okay, what word in English for us best captures that? And depending on the type of translation you have, each translation has a different purpose. So for instance, if you have a New Living Translation, I know many of you use the New Living Translation. The New Living Translation, the, the council that was behind um, translating that, their goal was we want a very readable version in the English language. And so what we're going to do is when we come across the, the original languages, we're going to translate that into English in a way that flows really well for English, even though it may mean we're going to be a little looser on, on, on exact word meaning or word order. We're going to make it more readable. They're not going to sacrifice anything and make it wrong. They're just, they're, they're leaning towards, we want this to be readable. Whereas a New American Standard... English Standard Version, um, New King James Version, some of these other ones that when you read it, you go, it's a little harder to read. It's because what they're trying to do is balance and say, we're trying to, to depict in the English language as best we can what was actually there in the Greek or the Hebrew or the Aramaic, right? And so it's a little less readable in English than say New Living or even the message, right? But it's, it's, it's trying to capture what's there in the original languages. Every translation has a purpose. That's my, that's my, my point here. And, and you can figure out what the purpose is by going to the front of your Bible and reading about what they say about that translation. Every one of your Bibles will have at the front end, they'll tell you how they translated the Bible and what they gave uh, preference to over other things. Okay, so now for the most part, the English translations that we use... They're, they're so, there's such a small difference in the translations, it doesn't really matter. And that's why I don't normally just change the translation on the Sunday morning. But this morning, there's two spots where I found, I'm just going to be explaining to you while you're looking at the screen, or if you're using the Bible in the chairs, you're looking at the words, I'm going to be saying, okay, but I think it actually means this, and this is the better translation. And I want you to be able to see that in a translation that went that direction. And so when we get there, I'll explain that to you. I've already nerded out more about this than I intended to. If this is something you're interested in more, let's visit. Because I could give you a whole lot more and would love to. But what I want you to hear from me today is that's why I'm using a different translation. It's for being able to show you something that I think is there. Ultimately, it does not um, impact the major picture of these verses. So if your English translation says something different, it's not going to be that big of a deal. I'm just... It's going to be a little heavier teaching this morning than I would normally do. All right, you still with me? Or should I just get down now? All right, uh, let's go. Let's just jump in this morning. So, so Romans chapter 3, verse 21 through 26 is where it's all been heading. And then after this, now then Paul's going to start unpacking what he does here. Right now, here's, here's what's at the heart of these verses. Paul has been saying since Romans chapter 1, verse 18, how humanity is unrighteous before God. And it doesn't matter who you are, what's your background, what's your upbringing, or it doesn't matter if you're a non-Jew or a Jewish person. Every person, Paul has said, is, is unrighteous before God. And there's nothing that anyone can do, regardless of who you are, whatever privileged positions you have. Nobody can earn their way before God. 
Nobody can earn their favor. Nobody can earn their own righteousness. You can't make yourself righteous. It, it's everyone is level before God. We all are under sin. That's what Paul's been doing. Now, remember, he's writing to a church in Rome that is racially divided. Okay, and, and he's got Jew and non-Jew. That's your racial division. Jew born from Abraham to Isaac to, to Jacob and then non-Jew, everybody else, right? And, and remember, we've talked about that the, the Jewish people were kicked out of the city of Rome for five years by the emperor. And, and whereas the church was led by predominantly Jewish people at that point, when they got kicked out, there's a vacuum in leadership. And the non-Jewish people stepped into that vacuum. And so over the course of five years, with a completely different type of leadership, you can imagine that a local church like that takes on a different type of culture. They don't compromise truth. They don't change what, what they believe. But the way they maybe practice it is different. Just like, by the way, if you go to a predominantly black church or a predominantly Hispanic church, you're going to find the culture is a lot different even if they're teaching the same things. If you go worship with a church in Haiti or worship with a church in Africa or a church in Mexico and South America, well, they're just a whole more, lot more lively than we are, and that's a great thing, right? And every one of you who have been there, you realize that, and you come away going, I sure wish we were a little more lively, because you know something's there, something's missing, right? But it's a difference in culture. And then there's some cultural practices. And then that's what, what Paul's dealing with is you've got non-Jews. They didn't grow up under the law. They didn't, they didn't abstain from eating certain things. They have different backgrounds. They're not churchy, right? They, they don't know the language that the Jews would know. And so they come and it's a little different. Well, when the Jews came back in five years later, they're coming back into a church that has a different DNA. And you can imagine and that's true here, it's true of any church, when you've got different types of groups in the church who have maybe same beliefs about the essentials, but maybe different ideas of how we should practice and carry those out, you get some, some friction, right? And that's what Paul's really writing the letter to Rome about. How, how, how can they pursue unity, right? At the heart of this then, at the heart of these verses, is, is laying the foundation for why they can pursue unity among one another. And when it comes to, to Paul having said, now everybody's under the judgment of God, nobody's exempt. So Jewish person, you're not exempt. Churched person, you're not exempt, right? He's, he's already laid that foundation. But now he gets at how then, how then can a holy, sinless, perfect God accept unrighteous people? Because Paul's clearly just finished explaining for, for, for a couple chapters, everyone's unrighteous. Everyone's deserving of the judgment of God. So then how can God accept people in, Paul, which is what you preach? How can God take Jewish people and non-Jewish people, how can he accept them in without compromising his holy, sinless, righteous character? So if you're a believer this morning in Jesus already, what you're, what you're hearing this morning is this is how God was able to accept you in. And it's going to have nothing to do with you. And if you're not a believer yet and you're saying, I don't think God would accept me in. This is going to be for you where, where you're going to be hearing this is why God is able to accept people like you in. And it has nothing to do with you. All right, so Romans chapter three, verse 21. Here's where we're ultimately going this morning. God's righteousness is shown in the gospel. Nothing original, but to the point. God's righteousness, and when I say righteousness this morning, we've talked about when we looked at Romans 1.17 that um, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. 
Uh, we talked about that righteousness depends on the context how it, how it can be used. It can be God's righteous character. It's an attribute of God. It can be an action that God's taking that is showing his righteous character. Or it could be the very righteousness that God is passing on to uh, somebody else. And in some cases, it may have aspects of all of those. As we kick it off this morning, though, in, in these verses, it's the righteous character of God. It's, it's God being vindicated because his righteous character is coming into question. How can a holy God accept sinful, unrighteous people in without compromising his righteousness? And Paul will have said in chapter 1, the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. Here's how God's righteous character is revealed. And so when I say God's righteousness is shown in the gospel, I mean his righteous character. You see God maintaining his righteous character in the gospel. And so let's break it apart this morning as we, we look at it. And we're going to start with this. God's righteous character is shown in the faithfulness of Jesus. In the faithfulness of Jesus. So let's look at verse 21. The faithfulness of Jesus. All right. But now... Apart from the law, the righteousness of God, which is attested by the law and the prophets, has been disclosed. All right, so Paul had just finished saying in, in chapter 3, verse 20, that you cannot be made righteous by obeying the law. That's what Paul just finished saying. You cannot be made righteous by obeying the law. The question comes up, then how can a person be right before God? If I can't obey the law, if I can't do anything to make that happen, how is a person made right before the law? Which is why verse 21 starts with the but. But now, in this time, in the time that Paul's writing, in the time of Jesus, but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been disclosed. And what he's, what he's getting at is, hey, God's righteous character was revealed in the law. And, and, and here's how, right? You read through the law. This is why it's, it's still beneficial for you to read Leviticus and, and, and the later part of Exodus and, and Numbers and Deuteronomy. And you get to all those points where it says, thou shalt not and thou shalt. And you're going, well, we don't do that anyway. Who would do that? Right? And you're reading, you're going, this doesn't matter. And you skip it. This is why you should still read those. Because every you shall not and you should is God revealing to his people who he has brought out of slavery. This is how you live before a holy God. And every one of those you shoulds and you should not is there for a reason. It's like every time you see a, a rule posted or a sign posted and you're going, or there's a law in effect and you're going, that is an absolutely ridiculous law. Why would anyone need to come up with that law? Because somebody did what that law is prohibiting. Right? It's that Paul, uh, what God does in the law is he's saying things like, you shouldn't boil, boil a goat in its mother's milk. And you're like, what? Why? Because it had meaning in that culture. The law was given to a people who lived at a specific time, and they were surrounded by nations who worshiped all kinds of other gods. And they did so in many different ways, and they gave credit to these other gods by doing many different things, and they practiced things that were, were immoral and vile. And God is trying to tell his people, you're not going to be like that. I'm your God. I brought you out of Egypt. Here's how you live before me. And as you live before me, according to these laws, then everyone else will know I'm altogether different. That was the purpose of the law in, in one respect. It was, it was to teach a people how to live before a holy, righteous God. And so in the law, the righteous character of God is revealed. So if you're doing your reading plan and you start to get stuck in Leviticus or Deuteronomy because of all the laws, just keep reminding yourself, this is God showing them how he's altogether different, how he's righteous and he's different from all these other gods. 
So now Paul says, but now apart from the law. So now God's going to show his righteous character in a way that's not revealed specifically in the law, but in a different way. But Paul's very careful to say, although it is attested by the law and the prophets. And by saying law and prophets is just a way to sum up the Old Testament. Okay? So he's saying, but I'm not telling you something new. This righteousness of God that's going to be shown apart from the law, it's actually been pointed to in the law and the prophets. He's not making something new up. He's not bringing something new before them. He's helping them understand in a fuller way what God has done and what God has always intended to do. All right, look with me at verse 22. Namely, the righteousness of God through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. I've got, for here is no distinction in the next part. Here's the first place where your translations and what I have up here is likely going to be different and why I went this way, with this translation for today. Okay, so, so Paul says, when he's talking about the righteousness of God is now being shown apart from the law, he says specifically the righteousness that I'm talking about is the righteousness of God that's shown through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Now, most of your translations are going to say through faith in Christ, right? If you have an NIV, the updated version, not the 1984, it probably has a footnote. If you have the Christian Standard Bible, it has a footnote. Um, some of your other Bibles, if you have an ESV study Bible, there's probably a note there. Uh, I tried to check as many of these translations that I knew you guys bring with you. Most of you are going to have a footnote if it's a newer version. And by newer, I mean late 90s or, or older. And the footnote's going to give you this as an alternate interpretation. And your Bible does that, by the way. And it's not saying like this is a second-rate translation. When they give you a footnote and it says or, and in italics, it gives you another phrase that's slightly different from what they went with. What it's telling you is, is that the, the people sitting around translating it, the, the, they were hard-pressed to decide what that translation was. Or there was, or there was two equally good options and they had to make a decision. And they made a decision based on context or, or their understanding of, of the word or whatever the case may be. But when you see that footnote, what you need to understand is that's an equally a good option. And some translations choose to take it and some don't. And usually the newer ones are going to at least say, but it could also be this. Just by show of hands, how many of your translations have a footnote that lists that? Okay, good, good. And if you don't have a Bible open in front of you, when, when you look at, what, look at it, go pay attention to that. Another place where we've seen this happen, by the way, is Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 8 and 9, where they gave you a footnote. And many of the translations choose to go with, and God divided up the nations according to the sons of Israel. But then the footnote says sons of God. Right? And that, let, that lets you know there, there's something there. All right, here's, here's what I think Paul's getting at. And it doesn't change the overall meaning. If, if we go with the traditional translation, which would be what many of the translations do, it's going to say faith in Christ. And what, what, what Paul would be saying if he said that is that God gives his righteousness or his righteous character is revealed as people believe in Christ. They, they place their faith in Christ, right? And that's for all who believe, which then would make two statements that mean the same thing. Those who place their faith in Christ, all who believe it. They're saying the same thing. But I think Paul is trying to emphasize something else here, without excluding placing faith in Christ, because he does that every other place, really. But I think what Paul's trying to, to focus in on is God's righteous character is revealed in Jesus' faithful obedience to God, as he faithfully lived in obedience to God. And so, so when it says, through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, the idea is this, God sent Jesus 
He grew up under the law and lived in perfect obedience to the law. He was faithful to God. The only person who can do that. So that he earned the righteousness that is required to be accepted before God. Which nobody else could do. Which Paul has been pointing out throughout the letter so far. Nobody is righteous. No, not one. Nobody can be made righteous by the works of the law. But Jesus was faithful. And he obeyed the Lord. Completely, obediently faithful. And God's righteous character is seen in Jesus' faithfulness. And by the way, then who is Jesus' faithfulness on behalf of? All who believe. See, he's not a, if, if this translation is the way we go, which I, I think, and, I, and I've wrestled with now, I'm not flippantly getting up here, by the way, going, this one just feels better to me. There is a lot of technical stuff that goes behind it. There are reading scholars who say this, and here's why, and scholars who say this, and here's why. So I don't want you to hear me say, which is why I don't like doing this. I just like this one better. It fits my purpose better. It doesn't. I wrestled with it because I'd rather just keep the ESV up here and, and just go, it's not worth explaining. It's going to just confuse people. And I, I can't do that on this one or the next one. Right, And so I think what Paul's just getting at is God shows his righteous character in that he sent Jesus to live faithfully and obediently before him. And Jesus did that on behalf of people who couldn't do it. God's righteous character is seen in Jesus' faithfulness. Do you see? And that faithfulness of Jesus, that righteousness that Jesus earned, it now gets applied to people who believe. So it's not erasing anything. It's just, it's just highlighting how is God showing his righteous, righteousness by sending Jesus to be faithfully obedient to him on behalf of unfaithful, disobedient people. And it's for those who believe. And, and, you know, we're in church and we throw words like believe around and faith around a lot and really we don't know what it means. Um, and, and, and I want to just unpack belief just for a moment. The idea of believing is not a, it's not a mystical thing. Like if I can just kind of muster up and believe a fantasy. I, I just choose to believe. Any kids in the room? I don't see any. I don't see any kids in the room. Okay, okay. Um, let me just put it this way. If, uh, just in case I'm missing a kid. Um, like I maybe just choose to believe a fictional person is real at certain times of the year. <laughs> right, 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 right. That's a different type of belief. That's not what the Bible's talking about. It's not based in reality. Now I know there's stories behind who that fictional person represents, but get my point. That's not belief. Like I'm just believing in a fantasy. No, believe as the Bible uses believe, it's understanding a set of facts and, and believing that they are true. It starts there, but that's not all it is. Because if, if you just understand a set of facts and believe those facts are true, that does not make you a believer. It just means you're, a, you're agreeing to a set of facts, which by the way, Paul, uh, James says the demons do that, Right? The demons believe that Jesus is the son of God and know that Jesus died on the cross for sinners and that, that Jesus rose from the dead. The demons believe that. And, and the demons know that those who believe in Jesus will be saved. The demons believe that. They agree to those set of facts. You don't become a believer in the sense of the Bible by just agreeing to a set of facts. But you can't go less than that for sure. You see what I'm saying? It's based in reality. Two plus two equals four. Right? You got to start there. It's not making stuff up. It's this really happened. Jesus really was faithful on earth. I can go back in history and see that. I can read other people outside of the Bible who, who wrote about that as well. But I mean, even if I'm just looking at the Bible, I've got eyewitness accounts. That stands up in a court of law, usually, right? 
And, and, and so he's, it, it means I start with a set of facts. I believe those set of facts are true. But when the Bible talks about belief, it goes further than that. It's then, and I trust those facts or I entrust myself to those facts, which then results in me showing loyalty and allegiance in the way that I live my life to the one I'm entrusting myself to. Okay, so, so belief, when he says, for all who believe, it's not who, who say, I agree to that. It's, I agree to that. I need that. It's true for me. I'm entrusting myself to, to the faithfulness of Jesus on my behalf. And my life has changed as a result. And I'm living in faithful allegiance or loyalty to God. Um, I, I didn't bring a stool up here with me because I didn't think I was going to do this. But I do this to the youth and they hate me for it now because I do it all. That's too strong. Um, but but they, they're tired of me doing it. Um, faith is not me looking at a chair. I should have just made y'all do this, but some of y'all, you know, it'd be a little harder. Faith is not like looking at a chair and going, that chair is burgundy, maroon, I don't know. And, and it has four legs and it's got a cushion and legs and chairs hold people and people sit in chairs. Like that's me agreeing to a set of facts. That's not belief in the biblical sense. That's not faith, right? And, and me, me saying, and that chair will hold me if I sit in it. That's not, that's not belief. Belief is when I entrust myself. Belief is when I sit down in that chair and I entrust myself to that chair and I demonstrate that faith, that belief by, by doing in that chair what that chair was designed for me to do. That's where belief is. Do, do you see the difference? It's moving from I agree to this set of facts. I agree that this is true and if people do this, if I do this, and it's, I entrust myself. And how do I know I've entrusted myself? Because I sat. That's a big difference from what most people understand about belief. And Paul says, this righteousness of God is shown through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. And God did that for all who believe. Now, here's the next part. So God's righteous character was seen um, in, in uh, the faithfulness of Jesus. And now we're going to see that it's seen in his justifying of sinners. I'm going to pick up the second part of verse 22 here. For there is no distinction. Because what did he just say? He just said, the faithfulness of Jesus Christ for all who believe. He's picking right up on that. There's no distinction. What do you mean? All who believe. Yeah, anybody who believes. There's no distinction here. In other words, it's not just for you Jews. It's not just for the non-Jews. It's for anybody who believes. There is no distinction that Jesus is faithful on behalf of all who believe. Verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And you go, amen, I've heard that verse. I've used it in evangelism before, right? And it's a wonderful verse. And it has, in the context, very little to do with evangelism. But it is very helpful and still useful for evangelism. But in order for us to understand the richer, deeper meaning of what Paul's getting at here, we've got to, when we have a Bible memory verse that we've done on our own and it kind of stands on its own, we oftentimes don't know the context and we create meaning behind it. But when we understand the context, we go, oh, that's even better. Paul's not talking about unbelievers here. I mean, it's true of unbelievers, right? People who have not believed in Jesus, that they too have fallen short of the glory of God. They've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's absolutely true. But Paul's not writing to unbelieving people. Paul's writing to believing people in the church in Rome. He's writing to people who have placed their trust in Jesus. They've believed in Jesus. 
and, and they've been attending church and now they're having racial issues in their church. They're having ethnic division in their church and he's trying to help them understand why they can be unified. And he says, Jesus was faithful and that faithfulness is for all who believe and there's no distinction in who, who believes because everybody sinned and fell short of the glory of God. And if you're listening to this letter being read by Phoebe, you're a believer in Jesus and you're going, oh, he says, I have sinned and fall short of God's glory. And you look at your neighbor and you go, he just said, she, she, she just read Paul saying that you have sinned and fall short of God's glory. And then you look over here, she just said, you too have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's no distinction then. Like Jew to my right, you can't earn God's righteousness. You have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Gentile, non-Jew to my left, you, 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 you have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's no distinction. Jesus' faithfulness was on behalf of those who believe, and there's no distinction in who needs to believe. Everyone needs to believe. In other words, Paul's writing to a group of believers who are dividing themselves because one group is saying, I have a higher privilege than you do. I'm a Jew. I'm part of the covenants. I, I'm of this bloodline. This is my name. And he's looking down or she's looking down on the person who's not a Jew. Or let me put it a little, little, little closer to home. I grew up in church. My family grew up in church. You're just now getting into church? Well, I'm a little more privileged than you are. I think I might know a little more than you do. I think I might be a, fur a little further along than you are. Right? You would never say that because you know how to live in a church culture. And I do too. And we don't say that. But we might think that or our actions might betray that we think that. Right? When we distance ourselves from some people and we navigate towards other people, when we give preference to some people over another people, when we, when we start to think of, of different groups in the church and we do that. And what Paul's getting at is it doesn't matter who you are. If you're a believer in Jesus, you have sinned and you fall short of the glory of God, which means you needed the faithfulness of Jesus on the cross in obedience to God. You needed that. Doesn't matter who you are. All have sinned and fall short of God's glory. There's nobody in the body of Christ. I don't care what your position is. I don't care how long you've been a believer in Jesus. There is nobody in the body of Christ who gets to claim a higher privilege and position because of that privilege than anyone else because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are in need of the same grace. Some of you need more grace than others, but there's not even room to boast there because it's still grace. And we'll talk about that here in just a second. All right, so favorite, maybe one of your favorite memory verses. Hopefully that's gonna give you a deeper, richer understanding of what Paul's saying. Can you still use it in evangelism? Should you? Absolutely, because what are you trying to say? You've sinned and fall short of God's glory. That's what Paul was trying to say, except he was saying it to a group of believers and reminding them because that's what believers need. We need to be reminded that I didn't earn it, nor did I deserve it, right? We go on, I'm gonna look at verse 24. All right, verse 24. But they, who's they, by the way? The same all who have sinned and fall short of God's glory. The, uh, the same all who believe without distinction. Same group of people here, okay? They, but they are justified freely by God, by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So yes, Paul's saying, it's true, you've sinned and you fall short of God's glory. That's true, every single person. You've sinned and you fall short of God's glory. 
If you're a believer in Jesus, here's what Paul's saying. But you have been justified freely by God's grace. That's a pretty big contrast. You've sinned and fall short of God's glory. That's a problem. Because if you fall short of God's glory, you're falling short of the glory of the highest being that there is, and you're in great violation. It's treason against the high king, worthy of death, which is what Paul says later. But even though you have sinned and fall short of God's glory, if you're in Jesus, you believed in Jesus, you are justified freely by God's grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now, we got we to spend a few minutes here. Justified. This, by the way, this word, this concept is why we have Catholic and Protestants. And you're getting nervous. I'm not, I'm not going to say negative things about him. I'm just going to tell you some history. This is the divide right here. This is why Martin Luther was kicked out of the, the Catholic Church in the Reformation. Because as a Catholic priest, Martin Luther was studying the scriptures in the Greek at this point, which was not a common thing because many people studied it in the translation of Latin. Okay? And the word that got translated in Latin meant one thing, but when Martin Luther got back to studying it in the Greek, which was part of the heart of the Reformation, getting back to the originals, he, he started studying the word in its context and what it meant, and he realized it means something different. It, and, so, and so here, the, the difference is this. So, so what Paul is saying here, but they are justified, this is a legal term. It goes in a courtroom. It's, it's equivalent to, to being acquitted. It's, it's when the judge, after the case has been heard, the judge declares you innocent. That you're not guilty of the crimes that you've been accused of. You are free to go. There's nothing on your record. That's, that's the meaning there. As Martin Luther was able to, to get to it, that's the way it was used in Greek. That's the way it was used in the culture. It's someone being declared as righteous. Now, here's, 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 here's why it's really a big deal. You are not righteous. I'm not righteous. Paul just said that. No one is righteous, not one. And, and all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but they have been justified. They've been declared as if they are righteous in the sight of God. How can God do that? Because of the faithfulness of Christ. Because he looks at Jesus' faithfulness. And, and Jesus did that on behalf of people who have sinned and fall short of God's glory. And he, he now applies that to your account. He took care of it. He did what you couldn't do, but I'm going to accept his sacrifice on your behalf. You're declared righteous. Now the difference is the Catholic Church, the, the main under, difference in understanding is the Catholic Church sees justification and they think you are made righteous. Not declared righteous. You are made righteous. Which is a change in my, my, my person. That I'm, I'm justified now in the sense that my, my character has changed. And I've got to now live my life in a way that helps me keep that status of justification. Do you, do you see what I'm, where I'm, what I'm getting at here? The difference is I'm, I'm told, if I'm, if, I'm, if I'm understanding it the way the Catholic Church has traditionally understood it, that I am made righteous. I'm made just before God. And now I live my life in a way to keep that. And I can't do that 
without doing certain things, water baptism being one of them and the first one, according to some of the, uh, the, the writings in the Catholic Church. Martin Luther had a very different understanding here. He says, no, it's not about being made righteous. It's about being declared righteous. And the difference in the way I live my life becomes clearer. If I'm declared righteous, then I'm being, I'm being told by God, I'm declaring you innocent, even though you're not. I'm declaring you as innocent because it's been taken care of. Your offense has been taken care of. I'm free to live without guilt. I'm free to live without trying to earn anything because God has already acquitted me. I've been declared right before him. It has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with Christ's faithfulness. But if I'm told you have now been made justified, you've been made righteous, you, you've had some change within you, but now you've got to live in a way that keeps that, that changes the way I relate to God, doesn't it? I'm not necessarily free from the guilt. I, I don't have that, that, that avenue to go where I can be free from the guilt. And I don't know if I'm, if I'm going to stay justified. But if God has said, it is so, because Christ took care of that, then that's it, we're done. I'm, I'm declared righteous because of what Christ has done. That's the heart of the Reformation. Okay? Study it. Go read it. Go read about Martin Luther. Why? He, he didn't want to leave the Catholic Church. He wanted to reform the Catholic Church from the inside. But that just wasn't going to happen at that time. This was the heart. If, you, if you're, you're all attending a Protestant church right now, just FYI, if you attend a Protestant church, you need to know this is the main difference. And, and it doesn't mean you have to hate your Catholic friends or you can't be friends with Catholic people, but you need to understand what's the difference between a, a Protestant and a Catholic. This is a big difference. And it, and it should help you in your conversations and it should help you to understand why there are some things we don't agree on. This is the heart of the, the Reformation. All right, got to move a little faster here. Verse 25, God publicly displayed him, Jesus, at his death as the mercy seat, accessible through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because God in his forbearance had passed over the sins previously committed. This is the second spot. Your translation, most of you are going to say, actually most of you says um, sacrifice of atonement or something like that. If you have the ESV or the New King James or the King James, it says propitiation. Yep. Now, here's, 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 the, here's the deal. The word that Paul used here is pulled right out of the Old Testament. Leviticus chapter 16. We looked at Leviticus a couple years ago. Leviticus chapter 16 is about Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. The day once a year where the Jewish people would gather, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, the, the innermost room of the temple, and he would make a sacrifice on behalf of the people, and he would sprinkle blood on top of the mercy seat. Mercy seat was the top of the Ark of the Covenant where the, the, that was laden in gold and the two cherubim angel wings were, were bending over, covering one another. And that's the place where atonement was made for the people. That's the word Paul's using here. The mercy seat. And, and, and by the way, propitiation, what that word means is, is what satisfies God's wrath. So if Jesus is the propitiation, what that translation is saying is he's the one for the sacrifice that satisfies God's wrath. It's, it's a great translation. It just doesn't capture the, the richness and the depth of what Paul's pulling on here. It's not just that Jesus was the sacrifice that satisfied God's wrath toward the unrighteousness of humanity. It's that he's also the place in which God's wrath was satisfied, where atonement was made, where people can now, uh, God and people can now intersect. 
It's in Christ. It's in his death. God was, was doing what he was doing through Christ and Jesus was living faithfully in obedience to, to God so that he could then become the place and the sacrifice that makes people one with God again in relationship. One with God in relationship. He's the mercy seat. So again, propitiation, not a bad translation. I just, I was going to have to explain to you the word propitiation as you're staring at it on the screen and then go, but it actually means mercy seat. And I thought it'd be a lot easier for you to just see a translation that does that. Why did God do this? Why did God do this? Because he wanted to demonstrate his righteousness, his righteous character. Why? Because God in his forbearance and his overlooking, so to speak, had passed over the sins previously committed. Those of the Old Testament. Meaning, we find out later in the New Testament, the blood of bulls and goats can't take away sin. So people had to come and sacrifice often over and over again because blood, blood of bulls and goats can't take away sin. They weren't a permanent solution. Never meant to be. They were temporary. It's like if you're cleaning your house and you got to do this, you know, real quick, you're going to sweep some stuff under the rug. That's not a permanent solution, FYI. That dirt's still going to be there. But later when you want to really clean, deep clean, solve the problem, you vacuum it up, you suck it away. Dirt's gone. See, in the past, in his forbearance, he was, God had allowed, it was good and right because God put this in place, he allowed sacrifices to be made, but sacrifices couldn't ultimately take away the sin problem. But in God's perfect timing, when Jesus came as the mercy seat, the place where God was going to, to make this all right, now God's just righteous character is being vindicated because somebody might have looked at him and go, wait a minute, Paul, what you're saying now, nobody before Jesus could do this. Nobody could believe in Jesus before this. And Paul's helping them understand, no, but see, God's not bound by time. Right, so, so you think about all these hundreds of years that, that all these people were living and dying and, and they were doing these sacrifices that God told them to do and and. What were they supposed to do? Well, God's not bound by time. So he looks at all of, all of history in a moment. And so Jesus dying and, and Moses living, there, there's no time for God, right? And so he's able to forgive people who are making those Old Testament sacrifices because he's basing it in the death of Christ. For you and me, that's in the course of history. For God, there's no history. It's all just now. But Paul, speaking in our context for history, he says, God was vindicating his righteous character. How could God forgive all these sinful people from all these temporary sacrifices? Because he was doing it in Christ. So he was, he was demonstrating his righteousness for looking over sins in the past. Not that he was going easy on sins. Not that, not that people were dying with their sins. God was able to forgive them. But he was doing so on the basis of Christ. That's becoming fuller and clearer now as Paul writes. He wasn't doing it ultimately because you killed a bull. That bull was meant to point you to something greater. That bull was what God was saying. You need to understand that sin brings death and something, someone has to die. But I'm going to have that bull die in your place. That's God's grace in the Old Testament law. Something else dying on your behalf, taking your punishment. But he's bringing it to an ultimate and fuller meaning in Christ. It'll be a once for all sacrifice. Lastly, in verse 26, this was also to demonstrate his righteousness in the present time so that he would be both just and the justifier of the one who lives because of Jesus' faithfulness. And again, slightly different translation. Yours will say because of faith in Jesus. 
right? But the idea here is this. God is demonstrating his righteousness now in that he's not being easy on sin. He's not sweeping it under the rug. He's being just. He is pouring out his wrath on Christ on that cross for all who believe. He's not excusing sin. He's showing himself just, but he's also showing himself as the justifier, the one who's able to declare people who have sinned and fallen short of God's glory as right before him. And he doesn't compromise his righteous character in doing that. He's just and the justifier. And he can do that, he can do that because Jesus lived faithfully before God on behalf of you and on behalf of me. So, a couple discussion questions. I'll leave that up there for a moment. If you want to take a picture, you can, and we'll post those when we put the video up. God's righteousness is seen in the gospel. That's a, that's a lot in those verses, and I, and I knew that would be, which is why we shortened the sermon verses for this week, because I was originally supposed to go through the next three or four verses, and we'll pick that up next week. That's the hinge point. These verses are the turning point in the letter to the Romans. This is why God, okay, come back around to the beginning here, why God, if you're a believer in Jesus, was able to take you who have sinned and fall short of God's glory, by the way, still sin, and because of that sin would still qualify as falling short of God's glory, but he's able to declare you as righteous because it has nothing to do with you. It has to do with what Christ did, and that's a freeing thing. And it's one that absolutely everyone who believes in Jesus needed, which means nobody gets to, to, to place themselves in a privileged position over someone else because I've been a believer longer or I grew up in church or my life is just put together better than yours is or I've made better decisions. You still needed God's grace, which is God the greater giving you and I the lesser what we could not do on our own. And he did it freely as a gift, meaning he doesn't expect anything back for us, from us. We can't pay him back. So we need to stop living like we gotta pay God back because that's not living in the freedom that, that, that Jesus faithfully lived and died for. He faithfully lived and died to meet the righteous requirement. He rose from the dead, overcoming that so that those who believe can receive what is his. And now we're free. We don't have to, to live swallowed up in guilt, wondering if I'm good enough, wondering if God's pleased enough. Your God is not mad at you if you are in Christ. There's no anger left. He, he has satisfied it all in Christ. Every bit of his wrath for your sin, every bit of his wrath for those who believe was poured out on Christ. None left for you. Praise God. None left for you. None left for me which means I've got a God now who I can relate to as a heavenly father because he brought me into his family and I can live in the freedom in response to what he's done, not to earn it. If you're living your life to try to earn or show God that you were worthy of his grace, you've missed it. Somewhere along the way, you've missed it. That's how God can take you into his family because it's not about you, it's about Christ. And if you're sitting here this morning, you're going, I don't think God could ever take someone like me in. Good news is it's not about you. If it was about the way you lived, then yes, you're, you're right. God could never take anyone like you. And he could never take anyone like me. Or the person sitting next to you. Or the person who you think in your life is the most holy, spiritually mature Christian you've ever known. He couldn't take that person either. 
Good thing it's not about us. And it's about the faithfulness of Christ. Because God says it's based on his faithful obedience that he then now is able to declare you as righteous. It's a, it's a legal statement, a status that God is saying, this is now true of you in my eyes because the penalty of the law has been met. The wages of sin is death and that death was satisfied in Christ. So it's not for you anymore. And if you're thinking God could never accept me, you're right, he could never accept you as you are on your own terms. But for all who believe in Christ, He says, come. So I don't know where it's hitting you. Let's let the Lord um, let that settle on us this morning and then we'll wrap it up. you've shown us what the right perspective is this morning of who we are before you and who you are summed up in these words that Jeff's singing you're holy and we're not because of sin Jesus was and is and he faithfully lived on our behalf faithfully died in our place rose from the dead so that all who believe in him without distinction, doesn't matter your background, doesn't matter the mess of your life, doesn't matter if you're older in life or younger in life, without distinction, all who believe would be justified, declared right before you because of Jesus. Free to live a life free of guilt before God, free to live a life in response to your love and your grace extended to us not bound by the chains of trying to earn or prove ourselves before you, we would never be worthy. That's how you can take people who still wrestle with sin, still deal with sin, still sometimes even give in to sin, and you could say, yep, yep, you, you're sinned and you fall short of God's glory, but I declared you as right because of Christ. Now keep walking and keep walking. So, so God, I pray for some freedom today. In this room, there's people who need to be free, believers in Jesus who need to be free because they've somehow saddled themselves with a yoke of guilt, 
somewhere they thought that they need to earn their worthiness of your, 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 your grace given to them. Free them from that this morning. Or they, they feel like you're, you're an angry God because that's how they've experienced their parents or they think that that's how they would respond to the sin in their life. Free them. Because in Christ you've poured all of your wrath. You've got no wrath left for your children. You've got love. And you discipline those you love. But that discipline is evidence of your love. So free them, Lord. And then, God, there are some who, who they, don't, they don't know that freedom, but maybe this morning they're hearing for the first time or in a way that makes sense that God accepts people not because of how we are or what we bring, but because of what he's done on our behalf in Christ. And if that's the standard, if, if that's, if that's what, what God does for people and it's not about me, then maybe there is a chance, and there is. There's hope because it's for all who believe without distinction. So God, help them to see that this morning and bring freedom in their life as you, you uh, apply the gospel to them. So as we dismiss here in just a moment, if you want to uh, visit for a few minutes afterwards, if you have questions about anything that came up, we'd love to visit or we can email back and forth, whatever, set up a time later. Um, if you would like some prayer about anything specific, I'll, I'm going to hang up out here. If you uh, would like to come up, I'd be glad to pray with you um, about whatever that is. If you're able, will you please stand and we'll dismiss. Your God's not angry. Your God took care of the sin so that you could be free. So depart from here as people who have been set free and walk out of that prison cage. Don't stay in with the door open. Go and tell others about it too because they need to be free. Do it in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. See you guys next time.